Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. Buenos dias. Welcome. Welcome this morning. Today we, we continue in our, in our series, The Prodigal, Three Responses. Last week we looked at the journey of the son, and today we're going to take a look at the, the response of the father. You know, it looks like the, the rain this morning kept some people away, and that's unfortunate because I would look to the rain this morning as really just a symbol of what God wants to do in our lives this morning. Amen. He wants to pour out His Spirit in this place and in our lives. Amen? Amen. Well, I welcome you in this morning. I want you to know, as always, you are welcome. And as much as you may have felt welcome this morning, or maybe not, I don't know, hopefully you felt welcome, but listen, you are never, ever going to feel truly connected with the brothers and sisters of Christ if the only time is you see them from 10.30 till noon on Sunday mornings. Come on now. So you were handed, hopefully when you came in the door this morning, your, your notes for today, but hopefully you were given a little sheet that said small groups on it. And I want to encourage you this morning to fill that out uh, before you leave here. If you've um, not been through small group leadership training, that's okay. Just take the time to mark, no, I haven't on there. If you want to know more about what small groups are, come to Growth Track today. We'll talk to you about it. Amen? Amen. We don't have a lot of time to spend on that this morning as much as I'd like to. We've got to get right into the message. So if you've got your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 15, verse number 11. We're going to be back in the same passage we were in last week, the one we looked at when we were looking at the prodigal son, but we're going to look at it from just a slight different view today. So Luke 15, verse number 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of this state. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him in to, feed, to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The, father, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. 
Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Amen. Let me turn on some more lights up here. I can't hardly see. I can't even find the light switch. There we go. That's what happens when you get older. You can't see. I was struggling when I was reading my big print Bible again. I'm going to have to go ahead and bring my glasses in on Sunday morning, I guess, huh? Yep. Last week, we looked at the journey of the sun. We spent a lot of time talking through the, pro- uh, the process of that journey, if you remember. I also made it clear at the very onset of the, of the message last week, I, I talked to you about there being a huge difference between someone who was raised up with the knowledge of Christ and the love of Him. In other words, they were raised up in a loving home and someone who was not. And I talked to you about the purpose, for the purpose of my message, in speaking of the prodigal, we were speaking specifically of those who were raised up inside a Christ-loving home. We said our, our focus during our talk last week was on that person who was trained up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, but they still chose to walk a different path anyway. We talked through that journey and how no matter how painful it was to witness as someone who, who loves the prodigal, it was necessary that they go through that process so that they could come out the other side in complete restoration. And we don't have time this morning to go back and talk about everything from last week, so if you weren't here, please, I encourage you, go back, listen to the, to the message, especially if you've got a prodigal in your life. Last week, if you'll remember, I gave you eight things from the Scripture in talking about the process that the prodigal must go through. And I'll put those up on the board real quick. They say, every person must make their own choice. We talked about how we can't make a choice for the prodigal. Every one of us has to make our own choice. We talked about how the prodigal's journey begins with hidden desires. And how the prodigal's journey takes him to a distant country. And we talked about how that was metaphorical in the fact that, you know, it takes them to a place they, they do not know. that has them doing things that were, are unfamiliar to them, saying things that sound foreign. The prodigal's journey leaves a life of squandered living. We talked about how there's always that trail of waste behind when you're dealing with the prodigal. We also talked about how it leads them to that place of need and how the prodigal's journey leads to a decision process and how oftentimes when they're in that place of want, in that place of need, that first decision they make is often a wrong one. And then we talked about how if they were left in the result of that decision, they will come to a place of reality. The right decision then leads to repentance. And repentance results in the prodigal taking those steps towards home. I also said, or I never said, seeing your prodigal make that journey was easy. In fact, we talked about how difficult it is to see that. Much of the things that I talked about last week may have left you questioning, how? How can I possibly sit here and watch 
while my prodigal is out there, sit here on the sidelines witnessing the destructive behavior. How can I do that? After all, each of those things I talked about last week are very difficult to witness. It's hard to sit there and watch your loved one go through these things, isn't it? But if you remember, I talked about it being a process that they had to go through. Please get this. You cannot make decisions for them. You cannot make a decision for your prodigal. God gave each of us the ability to make a choice. And whether or not we choose to live a life following Christ or not is a choice that each and every one of us must make. Now, as parents, it is our responsibility to train up our kids in the way they should go. But there comes a point along the way that you have to realize they are going to have to make a choice. And that's what I really want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about the how. How is it the father was able to sit there and watch his son go off? How is it the father was able to stand there and wait for his son's return? The text this morning says that the son gathered all that he had and he set off for a foreign land. So this father was standing there watching his son go away. How did he do it? The first thing you need to know or understand is this. The first thing is you have to understand the father, like any parent, wants the best for his kids. Absolutely, without a doubt, I believe that he wanted what was best for his, for his son. So how was it, one, he was able to sit there and watch him go, and how is it, two, that he didn't run after him? It was in the fact that the father understood part of raising a child is releasing them, even when you think the direction they are headed is not in the best interest of the child. It doesn't mean you don't try and guide them. It doesn't mean you don't try and direct them. But it comes down to point number one from last week. You have got to come to the realization that each and every one of us must make our own decision. No matter how much you want to make it for them, you cannot make the choice for them. So again, how is it that the father could let his son go even off to this distant land this unfamiliar territory. It boils down to two things. They go hand in hand. Trust and faith. Trust and faith. So if you're taking notes this morning, go ahead and write this down. Number one, the father trusted in the way that he raised his son. Church, you've got to do the same. The word tells us in Proverbs, train up the child in the way that they should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You've got to trust in the way that you raised your son or your daughter. You've got to remember in context of this series, when we're talking about a prodigal, what I'm talking about is someone who was raised up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. If you have a a child that's grown and, and they're out in the world and they grew up in a Christless home, listen, the stuff that I've talked about last week and some of the stuff I'm saying today doesn't really apply in that situation. If, if they grew up without an introduction to Christ, listen, you've got to go tell them. What we're talking about now is those who were, who were raised up 
in a Christ-loving, God-fearing home. If, if you didn't raise your, your children up that way and they're out in the world, some of this stuff just is not going to apply. Listen, you need to go tell them the good news that you've come to know. No matter where they are, no matter what that distant land may be. However, if you raise them up to know Christ, you have got to trust in that training. When they've turned their back on the way that you raised them, that is not the time to question how you raised them. You've got to trust in the fact that you put the Word of God down in them. And you need to understand this. Bringing a prodigal home before they are ready is going to stop the process. They are, they are going to end up right back in that distant land where they are, and they're going to get there faster, and they're going to go farther. When the prodigal is in the pig pen, when you extend assistance to them in that pig pen, you're also extending the process. As much as you might like to have everything in order, maybe you're one of those type of people who just like everything planned out, everything perfect, listen, you need to understand and trust in this fact. God is in control. If you're taking notes, write it down. God is in control. First Chronicles 29.11 says this, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. And guess what? It says you are exalted as head over it all. God is in control. You know, we like to think we're the ones in charge, though, don't we? We like to think we're the ones in control. And because of that, when things don't go exactly the way we plan it, it doesn't line up exactly how we think it should, it absolutely tears us apart. Church, the enemy wants you to think that you're in control. The enemy wants you to think that you're in charge. He wants you to think that you can somehow fix the situation. You see, if, you're, if your child, if, you're, if your loved one is off in some distant land, you need to realize this. They've already been wrestling with the Holy Spirit. They've already been wrestling with the Holy Spirit. John 16, 8 says, And when He has come, He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. You know your child, but do you really think you know your loved one better than the God who created them? Do you think you, you know your loved one better than the God who formed them? Do you think that your plans for your loved one are better than the plans that God has for them? His word says He has plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. You've got to trust in the fact that you train them in the way that they should go and that God is in control. The enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy and can I just tell you, if you take all of your time and all of your energy and spend it chasing after something that you cannot change, the enemy will win. If he can take your focus off of what God has called you to do, the enemy wins. If he can get you spending all of this time and energy 
seeking after something that you cannot change, then guess what? You're not following God's plan for your life. And in that, the enemy has stolen God's dreams and His plans for your life as well. Not only that, but if you allow it to consume you, you're going to find the enemy will use that against you and your family as well. Maybe you've already seen this develop in your life. He loves to see us chasing after things that we cannot do a thing about. We talked about it briefly last week, but you've got to understand this. The Father did not go and get the Son. The Father did not go and chase after the Son. He was willing to wait and to pray. My grandparents were pastors, and I've shared this with you before, but a few years back, right before my grandmother passed, in, in talking with her, one thing that she said was this, we used to pray differently. She said, we used to pray that if one of our loved ones were out there and lost, we would pray, God, whatever. God, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to bring them to a place of repentance. Whatever it takes, God, whatever pain, whatever sorrow, whatever hurt, whatever it takes to bring them to that point of repentance. You know, when she, when she began saying this to me, when she began saying, we used to pray whatever, it sounds a little harsh. But the fact is, there's nothing more loving than bringing that child to the place of repentance because that's what we're looking for. We're looking to bring them to a place that puts them back onto a path to restoration. Whatever it takes. Why? Because we want to see them fully restored. We don't want to see them in pain. We don't want to see them hurting. But as much as we don't want to see them in pain and as much as we don't want to see them hurting, even more than that, we want to see them completely and fully restored. Church, you've got to trust in God. So the question becomes, how is it that this father was able to trust? How is it he was able to trust? It comes down to this. The father had faith that God would bring his son home. It was his faith that I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to spend just a few moments on this topic today. The faith of this father. You see, faith makes it possible to stand. Faith kept him standing and looking. Faith gives you the strength to stand when nothing in the world makes sense that you can. Because listen, when your loved one is out there, guess what? It takes some faith to stand. Paul tells us this in Ephesians. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Church, when you've done all you can do, then you stand. And that's exactly what this father did. He stood. He stood in the gap for his son. He didn't go get him, but listen, he didn't stand there and do nothing either. I can promise you this father stood before God, pleading and interceding for his son. It was the father's faith in God that carried him through the tough and trying times. Church, you've got to believe that the word of God is just as true in bad times as it is in good times. This right here 
It's easy to believe the promises when the blessings are flowing, isn't it? When everything's going good, when everything is lining up just the way that you thought it should go, it's easy to believe this then. But what about when times are, st- when times are tough? Church, we got to stand on His Word no matter what the situation looks like. His Word isn't any less true because of our circumstances or because of our situation. I want you to write down Luke 12, 22 through 34. We don't have time this morning to go and read it. But go back and, and look at this story. It's a story that most of us are familiar with. It's Jesus speaking to the disciples, and He's telling them not to worry. It was Luke 12, 22 through 34. Jesus is there speaking to His disciples. He's talking to them about not worrying. He tells them about the raven and how the raven neither, neither sows nor reaps, but yet God feeds them. He talks about the wild flowers and how they grow without laboring. He says, even Solomon in all his splendor was not dressed like one of these. Church, God's Word, Jesus Christ, in speaking to the disciples, says, do not worry. He's telling you, I am in control. You've got to make the decision, do you believe this? Or do you not? Do you believe it even when your kid is out there in a distant land? Do you believe it when your finances aren't quite making it to the end of the month? Do you believe it when the doctor brings you back a bad report? Do you believe it when everything doesn't line up just the way you thought it should? Are you believing in your ability, man's ability, Are you believing God in His strength that will enable you to stand? Church, you got to hear me. If you draw near to Him, He will draw near to you. Luke 8 gives us the story of the woman with the issue of blood. It's a story you've probably heard over and over again. She's dealing with this situation. It has been 12 years. She's been to the doctor's. She's tried everything. The Word tells us no one could heal her. She's been dealing with this situation 12 long years. Some of you may be facing similar situations. You've been battling year after year after year. You've been going through it. And nothing you do seems to work. You've tried everything in your strength. Maybe it's a child and you've said everything that you know to say. You've guided them, you've directed them every way that you know. But yet, for some reason, nothing seems to work. That's where this lady was at. She had done it all. She had tried everything. Nothing worked. She was in a desperate place. If you're in that desperate place, the question is, what are you going to do? Church, you got to do what she did. You got to go to the one that can make a difference. You got to go to the one who can walk on water. You got to go to the one that can raise the dead. You got to go to the one who can bring sight to the blind. You got to go to the one who can open the deaf ear. 
you got to go to the one who can make the lame walk. you got to go to the one who cleanses the leper. you got to go to the one who can calm your storm. you got to go to the one who can make the mute speak. you got to go to the one who can cast out demons. you got to go to the one who can feed the multitudes with nothing more than a sack lunch. you got to go to the one who said, you can put me in the ground, but you can't keep me. you got to go to the one. Church, where is your faith leading you? We all got faith. The question becomes, where is that faith taking us? The Word tells us we've all been given a measure of faith. Where are you allowing your faith to lead you? Is it to man and man's ability? Is it to yourself and your ability? Or is it to the one? Because you ain't got but one winning choice. And His name is Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can see you through. Your faith will cause you to get a hold of Jesus. That's exactly what this woman did. Her faith allowed her to push through the crowd. Her faith allowed her to get close enough to simply grasp the garment of Jesus. And at that very moment that she grasped His cloak, Luke tells us this. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, She told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. It was her faith that got her through the crowd to Jesus. Church, you have got to get to Jesus. No matter what you have to do, you have to push in to get a hold of him. Don't let the crowd of the situation keep you from Him. Don't let the noises of this life drown your voice out. Some of you this morning are in a desperate place. And I can tell you this, you've got to find yourself pushing in to get a hold of Jesus. If you find yourself in a hopeless place this morning, press through to the One who brings hope. You must trust and how you raised your child. you got to know that God is in control. you got to have faith that God will bring them home. Your faith will help you to stand. And church, you have got to get a hold of Jesus. It's walking in faith that will bring you through. You see, faith will give you compassion as well. You see, when that prodigal comes home, because they will. You've got to be ready to embrace them. You've got to allow them to come out of that lifestyle. You see, it was, was when the son was approaching the father. It was after he was walking out of the distant land, approaching him. It's then that the father saw him and ran to him, arms wide open. It was then that he ran to him and said, Son, the father made it easy for the son to repent. He didn't make him beg. He didn't make him plead. He ran to him 
and he kissed him. Walk in your faith and allow the compassion of the Lord to be in you. You see, it's easy when we get hurt by a loved one for resentment to begin to build up. Anger. But remember, it's restoration that we're looking for. You've got to allow that compassion to rise up within you. The kiss said, you are forgiven. The past is in the past. He wasn't going to hold the past against his son. He ran to him and kissed him. The, the word says he kissed him continuously. He was saying, you are my son. You belong. If your prodigal leaves that distant country, if they leave that foreign land, that lifestyle that they are in, you need to make repentance easy for them. Listen to me, the father didn't give up his authority when his son came back. It was in his authority that he had the ability to forget the past. It was his authority that gave him the ability to restore his son. It was his authority that gave him the ability to celebrate. Faith gives you the ability to celebrate. Faith is defined in Hebrews as confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. See, when you, when you got a prodigal out there, you got to have faith. you got to have confidence in their return home. Even when you look out there and it doesn't, it doesn't see, you don't see it in your eyes. That moment that they return, you see, is that moment you had hoped for. That moment they return when it seemed all hope was gone. Can I tell you that's something worth celebrating? You need to celebrate that moment. When one sinner comes home, the Word tells us there is rejoicing in the presence of angels. Do you understand what that means? A lot of times people say, you know, the angels rejoice. All of the angels rejoice. The Word says there is rejoicing in the presence of angels. Who's there? God. God is rejoicing when one comes home. That's the way we've got to be too. The moment they return, we must celebrate. If you don't celebrate a prodigal's return, what you're going to do is you're going to push them away. You're going to say, you don't belong. Don't make them beg, don't make them plead. Understand these things right here. Faith always makes a sacrifice. Faith always celebrates repentance. And faith celebrates life and restoration. The father, upon the son's return, he says, go and get my best coat. Why, why did he do that? I've talked to you about this before, but it's been a while. The coat represents sonship. In, the in that time when there was an adoption or something like that would take place, you would take off your cloak and you would put on the cloak of the adopted family. The father was saying, this is my son, and he belongs. This son, he had hoped to come back as a servant, but I said, no, this is my son, and he belongs. 
then he gives him a ring. Signifies authority of the household. He said, not only does he belong here, he has all the authority that I have. He has my ring. Anything that I say, he has that authority. Then he gives him shoes. He's saying he's not a servant, he's not a slave. You see, slaves in that time, they had no shoes. And he was, he was saying he will not walk around shoeless. This is not a slave, this is my son and he belongs. The son, you need to understand, he hasn't done anything to deserve this. He hasn't done anything to prove that he is worthy to receive any of this. All he did was simply take a step towards home. And the father met him. He said, you belong. Faith provides sacrifice for the celebration. Before the foundation of the world, Jesus knew us. He died for us before we ever accepted Him. Do you understand? That's a picture of faith. It says He died for us while we were yet enemies. Jesus, speaking to Peter before Peter would deny Him, tells him, I pray for you. You see, He knew what Peter was going to do, but He was already trying to begin the restoration process even at that moment. He was saying, this is the thing I hope for and I don't see, but I will. Church, when you got a prodigal out there, you got to get around people of faith. you got to get around people that will point you towards the celebration time. When you got a prodigal out there, you need to stay away from people who are going to tell you anything other than the fact that they're coming home. you got to believe it. Even when your prodigal is out there, you got to begin preparing for the celebration. Church, you can't wait till they get home to prepare. Listen to verse 23. The father says, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Do you get that? The calf was in the barn and ready. The calf was already fat. He didn't wait for the son to come home. He was preparing for the celebration before he ever got home. Church, the father had faith. The calf was already ready. Here's what you need to hear this morning. Stop believing everything the enemy is telling you. Stop believing the lies. Begin to allow your hope to build. Begin to allow your faith to build. And get yourself a fatted calf. Get yourself a fatted calf. This morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to begin to do just that. I'm going to give you the opportunity to begin preparing for the celebration. Some of you this morning need to do the spiritual work of putting the calf in the barn. The woman with the issue of blood, she pushed through the crowd. Listen to me. The woman with the issue of blood, she didn't care what people thought. She didn't care if someone saw her trying to get to Jesus. It didn't matter to her if someone saw her. 
She was going to do whatever it took to get to Him. She was going to press in no matter what, no matter what crowd, no matter what was going on around her. She was going to get to Jesus because she knew this. If I can just touch Him, if I can just touch the hem of His garment, it's going to be okay. You need to hear this morning, if you can just get to Jesus, it's going to be okay. It's time to put the fatted calf in the barn. It's time to begin preparing for the return of your prodigal. Everywhere across this room this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to talk with you for just a moment. I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. When you're in a desperate place, what can you do? Church, you got to go to the one. you got to get to the one who can make a difference. If you got a prodigal, then there's not but one place you need to be. There's not but one place you need to go. And church, listen to me. If you are that prodigal this morning, there's only one you need to go to. As we continue this morning to sit with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would say to me this morning, Pastor Todd, I'm in a desperate place. Then this is what I want to do. I want to invite you to find a place to begin getting a hold of Jesus. Find a place up front as your physical act of pushing through the crowd. Just like the woman with the issue of blood. She didn't care who saw her. It didn't matter to her. If you find yourself in a desperate situation this morning, I want to invite you right now to come to the front. Find a place. Kneel, stand. Get to Jesus this morning. It doesn't matter whether you kneel before Him or you stand before Him. You just get to Him. No raising of the hands, no counting to three. Just simply get out of your seat and come. Church, listen to me. If you do not respond to the Holy Spirit while He is speaking to you, then you're going to leave this place harder than the way you came in. Do not leave here and miss the opportunity to get a hold of Jesus. When the water stirred, the people got in. You can only go to the one. You see, we serve the one who will walk on water. We serve the one who raises the dead. We serve the one who gives sight to the blind. We serve the one who opens the deaf ear. We serve the one who makes the lame to walk. We serve the one who can cleanse the leper. No matter what your situation is this morning, we serve the one, the one that can make a difference, the one that will bring that prodigal home. Church, this morning, wherever you're kneeling, press into the one. Push through the crowd. Allow your faith to lead you to Him this morning. You ain't got but one winning choice. You got to go to the one. 